welcome to the Dementia Podcast. I'm your host, Colm Cunningham, and you join us in the week of World Alzheimer's Day. We recognize on such an important day that together we are stronger as we support people with dementia. And Stronger Together is what we're calling the launch of a partnership between Topaz in the Netherlands and Hammond Care and its Dementia Centre. So we're going to join a webinar and unusually I'm going to have to take my seat and join the conversation. It's going to be hosted by my colleague, the Head of Dementia Centre Services, Marie Alfred. So Marie, who's joining us on this webinar? I'm really excited that we have Wilco Uchterberg. He's a Professor of Institutional Care and Elderly Medicine from Leiden University. Leah De Jong, the CEO of Topaz Homes in the Netherlands, and our colleague, Professor Sue Curl. She's a geriatrician and a carer, but people here in Australia might recognise her from the ABC's Old People's Home for four-year-olds. And uh, I know that in the UK, they've had a program like that, which is really reflecting the important issue of intergenerational care. And we're learning so much more about that. And Sue touches on the fact that the next ABC program will focus on teenagers. Wow. And I reckon there's quite a few subjects are going to come out of this webinar. I think we'll be having more conversations on the Dementia Podcast. We definitely will. So we'll be having lots more chats about intergenerational care and a whole range of other topics. So watch this space. Now, we've had uh, the Consul General um, for the Netherlands introduce the webinar, and we'll put the link on for that so that everybody can watch the full thing. But we're going to join the conversation just as you ask us, how did this relationship and partnership start? So I'll take my seat and let you take the reins. Fantastic. Let's kick off. Um, I'll start, Wilco, because um, I went on sabbatical to Leiden, to the University of Leiden in 2010. And I've been going back each year till COVID hit last year um, to to teach, but particularly to learn. And it was on one of those visits um, in about 2012, I think it was, that I met Wilco and learnt what he did and the unbelievably good idea of elderly care physicians with training in multiple areas. He also introduced me to Topaz. And I guess I recognised immediately um, the similarities with Hammond Care, the, the philosophy of looking after people other people didn't want to look after, the really difficult ones, um, their different approach to care, the, the innovation, the coming out of left field, the let's try this um, idea, and just their fresh way of, I guess, of looking at things. And I could see areas that we could really learn from as well. And so I kind of joined them up I think you'd say Wilco um, in that we developed the relationship Wilco and Leah came and visited Australia and spent time here and now we're actually formalizing that relationship we've been engaged for a long time now we're getting married <laughs> yeah yeah that's great uh, it's about 10 years ago uh, when we met and uh, within a few minutes uh, we understood each other we, we talked about the same issues uh, and it seemed like we had the same thoughts and the same framework, what is important for people with dementia. And um, uh, you don't uh, meet people who are based in both research in university and in care process and, and, and think and, and have this, this, this thought. And, and you were always uh, uh, driven by the needs of people with dementia and not by your academic achievements. Uh, and, and so... Uh, Really, uh, uh, although it's it, 
it's very the, the distance is very long the the distance in in philosophy was uh, was very short so we said Leah and I said well we should uh, do more with that we should exchange knowledge because we think that we can learn from Hammond care and uh, I, I, I also think we also think that Hammond care can learn from us so we are very excited for this uh, this uh, engagement or this marriage I'm very happy to be officiating at the marriage today so welcome everyone and now I'd like to talk with Leah a little bit more about your motto at Topaz so the entire life counts what does it mean? And can you give us an example of what that means in practice? Yes, of course. Your entire life counts approach is characterized by a very personal focus. One of the programs that we have been working on for the last few years is called From Regulation to Relations. We try very hard to focus on the relationship-based care. Uh, before we look at the rules and the regulations, we look at the effect on the quality of life. Residents all want to be seen as a person and not as a patient. They don't come to be nursed, they, they come to live with us. So what are the personal needs of the people that live in our homes? And what we experience is in our way of caregiving is that reciprocity is very important. Residents can mean something for their formal caregivers because it's a two-way process. All parties involved benefit from a good relationship. And within Topaz, we always talk about the importance of the care triangle, the resident, the family, and the caregiver himself. I really think that statement around regulations to relationships resonates for us here in Australia. So I know that our Australian listeners will be very interested to learn more about what that means in the Netherlands over the coming months. Colm, picking up on that last statement of Leah, can you talk a little bit more about the model of care here at Hammond Care and how our cottage design model fits into all of that? Well, I think Leah underpinned it by talking it's all about reciprocity. It's all about the relationships. Uh, I often say that in 1995, when Hammond Care opened the Meadows, one of its first cottage facilities, it was a heart-led decision. It was looking at what is driving uh, the challenges that people with dementia are facing and how do we compensate for that? How do we ensure that they can see and sense in small domestic familiar environments? Uh, it's interesting that Sue's work in the Cognitive Decline Partnership Centre and their important research has demonstrated that through that small domestic model, and I'm talking about people in, in groups of maybe eight to 10 people or 12 people living in a group, uh, that we make decisions easier and we ensure that the care model is around what the, that person needs. So for example, it isn't always net led by a nurse. You have the same amount of hours of a nurse, but we have empowered care workers who are leading those relationships, those relationships with families and friends. But also we are empowering the person and taking extraneous issues out of the way. So for example, the doors of the gardens are not locked. The uh, deliveries of food or laundry are in back of house corridors that do not distract people because they are unnecessary. While of course, having those things, a Kent, a kitchen that's working in real and where we're cooking together and where laundry can be done, but making sure that's managed in a way that empowers the person and that we are not 
uh, worried about the balance of care in the facility. So we match people and the cottage they live in using a, a particular tool to ensure that the complexity of their needs matches the cottage they live in. In terms of the evidence, I always say that in 1995, we led by what we thought was right Sue's work has shown lower admissions to hospital, lower use of medication, and a lot better outcomes for people in those small domestic models. And interestingly, there's a question now in the time that we find ourselves in is whether they're also helpful in in a COVID era. Thanks, Colm. We know that the environment has such a big impact on the experience and quality of life for people living with dementia. We've talked a little bit about the Dementia Cottage model here at Hammond Care. At Topaz, it's called small-scale homes. Leah, how is the Netherlands' approach design in environments for older people? When, when quality of life is your ambition, you need to be a bit radical to achieve it. So we try to make room for new ideas. So we have changed the layout of our homes so we achieve a more family-style home. In our newly developed homes, a daily host functions a bit like an in-house mother. She cooks in the the open plan kitchen. She creates a good atmosphere during dinner, uh, plays board games or gives a helping hand to the nurses. And we have specific thoughts about atmosphere and light and an uh, enriched environment that creates no negative triggers. Also, our co-workers flourish in a work environment where they can make their own decisions. And we try, and we really think that the attrition rate in a small-scale living is better than in regular, regular nursing homes. I'm wondering, how do you think environment and the model of care influences your mother's experience in an aged care home? I think the cottage model of care, as Colm and Leah have described it, is probably as close to home as possible. And Leah said it, we're not there to provide nursing, we're there to provide a home. But for my mum, um, when she first moved, when her dementia wasn't as severe, she was helping with preparing meals. She was peeling potatoes, chopping up pumpkin. She was hanging out washing. She was bringing it in. She was folding it. She was arranging flowers. She was doing all the things she used to love doing at home Um, and her needs have increased but she still sits there in the middle of the home and everything happens around her and she can still take it in and be part of it and the other thing is the staff Leah mentioned the low turnover Um, many of the staff that look after mum now were there when she moved there nearly three years ago and honestly I think they know her better than I do Um, and it is just amazing Um, and I love when I go in and I'm still allowed to go in because of our wonderful partners in care program that we're going to talk about the smell of lunch cooking is really terrific it is so much like home and can I add to that that there's some very interesting facts that are coming out in this conversation because we too find that in even in our more complex uh, facilities with people with uh, 
significant behaviors, the attritional rate is lower. And that's consistent with what, what our Dutch colleagues are telling us. So there's something here about empowering the staff in an environment that they can work effectively that is reducing that attrition rate. And that is significant because for Sue, it means that that relationship is not only with seeing her mum, it's with people she trusts. And trust is so central to what we're all talking about. Moving on to something that's on the minds of us all right now, the current pandemic, Wilco, can you tell us a bit more about your research project, Isolate, which is about the impact of COVID on people living with dementia? Yeah, thank you. Well, we interviewed both uh, formal and uh, formal caregivers uh, uh, for persons with dementia. Uh, and we did this with uh, uh, Mandy Visser, who uh, uh, we, uh, we worked at the University of Technology in Sydney, uh, but came to uh, Leiden University Medical Center and to Topa. So she's a little bit, she knows the best of both worlds. Uh, but she interviewed those, uh, the, the, those caregivers in the community and in the nursing homes, um, and in the COVID period, of course. Uh, and we found that especially persons with mild to moderate dementia in the institution suffered and showed more agitation in this period. For more advanced dementia, this was not so clear. And, and often they also seemed more comfortable in the situation with less people and less commotion, less hassles around them. Um, uh, so that's also something we can learn about that. Having all kinds of visitors is not for everybody so good. Um, we looked at the nurses. Uh, the nurses often felt very guilty because uh, they could be with the resident and the family couldn't, uh, also in the last stages of life. Um, uh, and, uh, and they were also sometimes threatened when they came out of the institution. So it was a very, very tough period for them uh, next to their workload and, and being sick. Um, Family was really happy with uh, alternative communication uh, methods, uh, such as video calling. But we also found that people with dementia often did not understand why their son was on television. And, and, and that made them anxious or, or restless. So, so um, uh, we learned a lot on, on what kind of things are important. And uh, you should probably be very careful when using these kind of, of methods for people with especially more advanced dementia. So uh, we, we learned we learned a lot also for the, the post-COVID period. Thank you, Wilco. Colm, Sue touched on Hammond Care's Partnering in Care project here at Hammond Care. Can you talk us through what that program is about and the impact it's had on isolation in the care homes here at Hammond Care in Australia? Like our Dutch colleagues, uh, we found it very distressing, the isolation that potentially people were facing. But we also touched on earlier in Leah's comment about the fact that you must go, what do you want the outcome to be? And then what does the regulation say? We've got a bit of a regular quote here about know the regulation better than the regulators, because often we are driven by what we think the regulation says. And in that way, we went, hang about, we don't want families to be separated, but we can't have everybody coming in. What, what if we looked at the volunteer model where we are still allowed to let volunteers and as long as they have done the necessary training and hand washing and all of the important things that we know are so critical during a time like this. And we said, let's do that. Let's accredit uh, these family members as volunteers specifically for their family member. And we called that partnering care. Sue, you talked a bit about the notion of isolation and Leah, Wilco and Colm all talked about loneliness and aged care. We know this is not something that just happens during a pandemic. 
We know that people in aged care can feel anxious and lonely because there is a lack of stimulation of visitors and engagement. Talk us through some of the work in the intergenerational space that you've been involved in. Yeah, so the concept of, of intergenerational care, so bringing older people and young people, you know, babies, children, infants, children together is not new and the benefits from it are known, but it's how you do it so that both groups benefit. And we've certainly done work both in residential care where we brought children into an aged care facility and we watched the depression scales change completely. Their quality of life went from two till to 10. Their um, mobility improved so that they were running egg and spoon races with their walking frames. It was quite amazing to see the benefits that came when we took children into residential care. But because most people, certainly in Australia and the same in the Netherlands, most older people live in the community. So the second, I guess, series that we looked at was having a preschool and bringing older people into the preschool, older people who who were living alone, who were lonely, who were isolated. And again, we saw the difference. We saw it in um, frailty. We measured that. We saw it in depression, which we uh, measured quality of life. And you could eyeball it. You could see it because it was on TV, the incredible improvement. And it wasn't just for the time of the program. It has continued. And Despite COVID, those older people are still getting out because they've suddenly discovered they can do it again. They've got their confidence back. I think we'll see a lot more conversation happening in this partnership around the intergenerational aspects of care, but also looking at isolation and the impact of current pandemics. But one of the other things that came up for both of our organisations uh, in those early discussions um, was our shared knowledge in two particular areas that interested um, both our workforce but also the broader sector. So for Topaz, uh, in Australia here, we're really interested in learning more about the work that you do in the field of Huntington's and the care environments in which it's delivered. So, Leah, would you like to talk us through a bit of that work? Yes, yes. Um, Topaz Care for Patients with Huntington's Disease now for over more than 30 years and in these years we have been building up um, a lot of expertise we care for those people. The care for those people is very complex because they are often younger than the regular patients and residents, and they have a combination of physical, emotional, social, and psychiatric needs. So we work together with neurologists, psychiatrists, and we are able to take really good care of them. Uh, and at the moment, we are the largest long-term care Huntington Center in the world. And we have about 80 beds and over 100 ambulatory patients. And we also develop a cooperation with the Dutch and the European patients organizations. And we are an important Euro European knowledge hub. Thank you, Leah. Colin, Hammond Care has led the Australian government-funded Dementia Support Australia program for quite a few years now. It's delivered services to over 50,000 people since 2017. What are some of the key learnings from that program? 
Well, I think one of the first things is uh, the beauty of what the Australian government done, uh, has done is join the programme up. So it's a national programme, which is quite unusual from countries across the world. There's many examples of great programmes in different states and cities. Um, but what we're able to do is actually bring together an incredible amount of data that's telling us what people's needs are at different stages. So we support people um, in the community, in residential care quite significantly, and when people are ready to transition out of hospitals. Um, and we're working in uh, 40 locations out across Australia, including in our Northern Territories and with our Indigenous communities, our First Nation people in Australia. Some of the things that come out will not surprise you because I've been part of these conversations, which is know the person first and foremost. Often we will go in and we are dealing with the fact that there is a, a barrier between the staff and the person because they don't understand who they are and what drives them. What has changed since the programme started is that we're now looking much more at the areas of delineation in the programme. So how do we support more people at home? How do we support people in prisons? Um, how do we support the police? All of those things are becoming more to the fore as we started to understand the data better. And significantly, that separation between responsive behaviours that are actually about some of the situations we've just described and the organic progression of the condition and the right environments for those people who may be a smaller group of people but need a lot more support. And if we don't support them well, we end up actually using our resources poorly because they unfortunately will be bounced around the system and they suffer, their families suffer, and the health system suffer. So a new addition to that um, program is a thinking around specialist dementia care programs. Um, there's lots more I could say about it, but dementia.com.au, you can find out a lot more about Dementia Support Australia. Sue, the Australian government has introduced the specialist dementia care program here in Australia. Talk us through what led to the development of this program and what we are hoping to see changes in the aged care sector as a result of this? Um, as a clinician who visits residential care to look at people with the really severe behaviours and psychological symptoms of dementia, I am very thankful that um, the government is looking at developing these specialist dementia care units, which are basically units of eight to 10 beds set in an established residential care facility. So they, they sit as part of it. And they're for those people that can't be managed anywhere else. We know and our experience with the couple that we've had over the years, um, I'll do almost anything to get one of my more difficult people in because I know it might take six months, it might take eight months, might take 10 months, but on the whole, those behaviours can be managed and that person can then go back to a more normal way of living. Thanks, Sue. One of the topics which Topaz and Hammond Care will be working on together is professional development. Leah and Welko, can you talk about the education system in the Netherlands and what is so important about what you do? Yes, for example, uh, our nurses, they have when they start a four-year education before they have their diplomas, um, and that it's not only the level of nursing, it's also for the caregivers, the helpers. Uh, we think that having a good education and knowing what it means to have dementia is essential to be a good care, caregiver. Uh, otherwise, you get so much complication because they don't understand 
why people are behaving the way they are behaving. It seems we have a lot to talk about in the future around some of those intractable issues that we're facing in care and what our responses might be. So I'm really looking forward to more discussion about complex dementia care, Huntington's disease, and our professional development programs in the future. But a final question to wrap up the session today is around palliative care. So some people think that palliative care is only available or should only be available in a hospice or hospital setting. So Wilco and Leah, do you want to talk us through some of the ways in the Netherlands that you're approaching palliative care? Well, in the, in the Netherlands, most people die at home. But for people with dementia, that it's, very, it's more complicated. And fortunately, almost no person with dementia die in the hospital. So most die in our nursing homes. And we have a lot to improve, but I think we provide good medical nursing and spiritual care for them. And we spend a lot of energy in training in ed education. And I think it's a really good example of an area that we are going to really benefit from the learnings from each other. The bringing together of expertise in palliative care and dementia care is going to be so crucial to support people at home because unfortunately our numbers are going to be even lower. And I'm sure Sue's going to, I'm sure, chip in on the fact that we do not support enough people at home in general when they're palliative, uh, but even less so when people have dementia. Recently, we wrapped up our Royal Commission into Aged Care here in Australia. There was a recommendation around dementia and palliative care training into aged care. Sue, what are your thoughts on this and how is it going to inform our workforce here in Australia? The elderly care physician model in the Netherlands, um, it's the one thing I want to see before I die is that we get that model into Australia. The model of physicians trained in geriatric medicine, rehab medicine, because let's face it, we can get a lot of these people better. Palliative care, we've said it's so important, and aged care psychiatry. It is that important for specialties. I, I think this partnership is all about learning, and I think it's also about the humility um, uh, that we all uh, want to bring to this because we will make mistakes. One of the things that uh, I've never been able to learn how to teach is passion. But one of the great things about this partnership is we have it in bucket loads. So we finished that conversation, Marie, with passion, the important for passion. And obviously that webinar, there was plenty of it. There definitely was. And I think, you know, the key thing here is think about all those topics we covered and the great webinars we'll be launching in the future. I'm sure there'll be some more podcasts too. Absolutely. As always, it's a pleasure to have you on the Dementia Podcast. And Marie, thank you for keeping us in check and getting us through so many discussions in that webinar slash podcast. It's great to have you as always listening. Please do give us your thoughts and ideas Email us on hello at dementiacenter.com. Bye for now.